0: we will dive into our series. We are going through what is, we have called elementary, and it's based off of Hebrews 6. I'll read that passage to you in a little bit. But we are going through the fundamental truths according to Scripture. The author of Hebrews says that we don't need to go through these things again. They're so fundamental that you should have a pretty firm grasp on them. And so we've been pausing and we've been wa- Walking through these things, we're on lesson three, which I'll tell you what it is in a in a moment. We took a break last week. We had the privilege and honor of Dr. Jeremy Martini coming and unpacking our newly refreshed statement of faith. And uh, if you were here, I don't know about anybody else, but I really enjoyed the way he did it. I never sat through a presentation of a church's statement of faith and I'm like that was actually really good. You know. Everybody was still awake when we were done. You know, I've seen that talk kind of cause people to nod off. So it was really good. We really appreciated him. Um, And as he said, we will be doing a deeper dive of it in the fall. Um, Instead of a book study, we will take some time and walk through the tenets of our faith. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions or you want to know a little bit more, you're more than welcome to join us um, for the midweek study at that time this morning we're going to go through kind of the history, biblically speaking. What is baptism? Where do we get this idea? Why is it so important? Why are we still talking about it in the church? So we're going to unpack the history, and I'm going to unpack what I believe is the importance of baptism, not just in the life of the church, but as the life of the believer. So with that, um, Hebrews 6, as I said, I would read this passage. So let us stop going over The basic teachings about Christ again and again let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Verse 2. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. So there's the whole series right there. We've done repentance from, de- from evil deeds. We've done placing our faith in God. We're on baptism. You can see the next three topics we're going to cover. Um, interesting thing about baptisms here, literally, and most of your translations will say this, they don't say baptisms, they say washings. Because the author of Hebrews is writing to a Jewish audience. And baptism wasn't really the word that was used in Hebrew. It was more this idea of ceremonial washing. So where do we get this idea of washing? Where does it come from? What's the foundation of it? So here we go. Oh, it's an echo. That's awesome. Um, so here we go. the <coughs> The history of washings and baptism in very rapid-fire text, so hold on, try to follow along. Okay, so number one, the flood. Uh, In Genesis chapter six, verse five to eight, we read, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. That's a good grade for humanity. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart, The Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. And that's really important, because what happens with the flood is we have this world that is completely and utterly corrupted by evil. God looks down at man and all of our thoughts and all the imagined and everything going on in the mind of man was always and constantly evil and because the mind was evil you can imagine how the actions followed it was just evil to the point where god regretted even making man and so what does he do he sends a flood he says that the, wa- the earth was completely covered in water even the tallest mountains were hundreds of feet underneath the water kind of like when you get baptized you get completely and utterly covered By the water. And as the water dissipates, and as the water goes away, all the evil, all the everything that made God upset and broke his heart is gone, and all that is left is righteous Noah, because the scripture tells us that Noah was righteous. He made a few mistakes, but he was righteous and his family. Now, dads, this is another really important thing I want you to see. That we don't know very much about his sons, but God says that I will bless. I will bless the generations of those who are who obey me and honor me to a thousand generations. Dad's that's a lot of weight. Because I don't know about you, but I want my gen- I want my lineage to be blessed. I want my kids and my kids' kids and their kids. You know, thousand generations will be blessed if you and I, as the men of our house, will be good and faithful and obedient to the Lord. Ooh, okay, okay. I like the idea of my family being blessed. But Noah and his family come out the other side, and they are, the evil is swept away, and all that remains is righteousness. God has cleansed the earth of the evil. He has washed it away. The Exodus, in Exodus 14. So if you don't know the story of following the flood, there's this great nation comes from the lineage, Noah, then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, there's this nation that is in Egypt because of famine and whatnot. They are moved there. And Israel has been under slavery of Egypt for 400 years. They cry out to God, and God sends Moses to lead them out. And how does, God, how does Moses lead them out? He leads them to the Red Sea. God splits the Red Sea and as Israel is going through the, the embodiment of their bondage, the Egyptian army follows them in. And as Israel is coming out of the Red Sea, the Red Sea closes on the Egyptian army, and they're wiped away, never to be seen again. So Israel goes into the water, bound and embodied in slavery, which should stir some really strong language that Paul uses. Paul says, well, when you were saved from sin, you were slaved from slavery to sin. So Israel goes in, slaves, comes out free, redeemed, and their, the, bond, the representation of their bondage has been washed away. Again, more of this washing analogy, more of this washing away that which does not belong. Then Israel moves towards Mount Sinai, and we get to Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 14 to 17 is really the big one that uncovers it, but Numbers gets into it a little bit as well. There are things that make a person unclean. Some of the things that are listed are touching a corpse, picking up or eating a dead animal, uh, most skin infections, and there's a list of other things. That you would become unclean if you touched or participated in these things, and the only way to become ceremonially clean was to be washed and the washing they talked about for a priest there was this large bronze basin at the temple they would go in they would submerge themselves in the water they would go in impure unclean and they come out clean for the people of Israel they would be expected to find a body of water typically a river that could wash over them and the same idea they would go into the river unclean wash themselves, and come out clean. <clears throat> um, a little further on, there's this time of Israel that's not really in the biblical account, but it's called the Second Temple Era of Judaism. And at the time, the, Jude- <laughs> the Israelites would be going out, and they would be evangelizing, for lack of better words. What they, used, what they would call is they'd be proselytizing. What that is, is they'd go find Gentiles, and they would share the message of God, much like we do when it comes to Christ, and all their com- and then they would get converts that would come and be part they'd now be considered Jewish. <clears throat> but you couldn't just become Jewish because um, due to your background and due to your time outside of Judaism, everyone worships something, and nothing's changed. Everyone's like, oh, I'm an atheist. No, no, you, believe, you worship something. I guarantee it. It's in our nature. We have to worship something, whether it's ourselves or material things or whatever. But in that day, if they typically had an idol or their nation had their God. And so when they came, they had to be washed as they became a convert because they was the, the priest at the time couldn't identify what impurities and uncleanliness they may have participated in, because lots of the idol worship was really, it was awful what they would do. We're talking child sacrifice, we're talking temple prostitutes, like all kinds of awful things that God forbids. And so these proselytes would come, and they'd have to be washed. And it got to the point, actually, in this time, where they wouldn't even let Gentiles enter the Holy Land. So the nation of Israel, the, whole, the property itself, because it was a gift from God, was considered so holy that in order for a Gentile just to come into the nation, they had to wash themselves. Because they did, the people didn't want any of that uncleanliness, they didn't want any of that impurity from the other gods coming into their nation. It definitely didn't come into the temple, it probably didn't come into Jerusalem, but at, like I said, at one point, you couldn't even come into Israel. So there's this washing, and again, it's the same idea. There's this impurity, whether they knew about it or not. There's this uncleanliness, whether they knew about it or not. You go into the washing, and you come out clean, pure, ready to worship. And so all along, so this this is the setup. Kay? This is all Old Testament. This is all prior to John the Baptist. This is the foundation. So when we get to the New Testament and they start talking about baptisms and washing, this is how many of the authors understood it. That there was this expectation that if we were impure, if we had sinned, if we were a convert, that we had to go through this washing the same way that Israel was repeatedly washed of its sin in the same way that the earth itself was washed of its evil and its uncleanliness. So when we get to John the Baptist, it's really interesting that we find him baptizing. <clears throat> Ooh. Matthew 3, we read, we read this, In those days John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. <clears throat> Repent of your sins, turn from your sins. John isn't baptizing proselytes. He's not baptizing Gentiles, he's baptizing Jews. And what is he doing What is he doing through the baptism? He's inviting them into the Jordan River, which is where he was. Um, a better understanding of John wouldn't have actually been baptizer, it would have been Immerser, because people were coming to the river. And what he was calling the nation of Israel to was to prepare themselves because the kingdom of God was ha- coming and in fact, God was sending someone who was so holy, so powerful, so incredible that John himself was unworthy to carry his sandals, unworthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. He's calling the nation to prepare themselves because God is coming. The Messiah is coming, and you don't want to be impure in the presence of the Messiah. You don't want to be unprepared in the presence of the Messiah. And what, for the Jewish readers who are reading through Matthew, what they would have remembered was in Exodus, shortly after the Red Sea, the people arrive at Sinai, and Moses says, go, cleanse yourselves, purify yourselves, because we are going to meet with God Almighty. And after a week of purification, after a week of, of washing and preparing themselves, God would come down on Mount Sinai and give them the laws and give them the commandments and give them everything that was going to set them apart as a nation. And so in the same way that they prepare themselves for God's coming, John is calling them, repent from your ways, O Israel. Because the Messiah is coming, and we don't approach the Messiah with our uncleanliness. We don't approach the Messiah with our, our filth, but we need to return from our evil ways. We need to turn from our uncleanliness. We need to be washed so that when He comes, we're ready. We're ready to receive from the Messiah. So, this is John's baptism. He's not making new converts, he's washing the impurity from His nation. Um, and fast forward, all throughout the Gospels, we have no account of Jesus actually baptizing anybody. Um, we just see him teaching. And, but when you get to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, we read this. Jesus tells the apostles, go, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's really important that he doesn't differentiate. And he doesn't say that baptism is optional. He tells the disciples, go make disciples, and baptize them. And then the next verse, he says, teach them to obey. And it's this cyclical model of ministry that Jesus gives his apostles. He's like, go, make disciples, baptize, teach, and then send them. And they will go, make disciples, baptize, teach them, and then they go. And that was, that was the growth plan. That was the mission that Jesus gave them. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And when we get to Acts, we see the apostles following the model exactly the way Jesus laid it out. Acts 2.41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. It doesn't say they believed and a month later or a year later or whenever Peter decided to have a baptism service, they got baptized and they were in. That day, they believed, baptized, now they're in. Acts 10. We see Cornelius is called the Apostle Peter to come share. He's a Gentile. He is not even part of the nation. And Peter says this, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders to them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. So again, in Acts 10, Cornelius hears the message of the gospel. They believe instantaneous. It says that they are actually baptized with the Spirit first. And because Peter recognizes what is happening in them, they, there's no denying that they have believed. There's no denying they have placed their faith in God. And Jesus, Peter says, "We gotta baptize them now." And there's account after account after account in Acts that people put their faith, they believe, and instantly, the story of um, the Ethiopian. Philip comes across this Ethiopian He's in his chariot. He's reading through Isaiah, and Philip opens Isaiah to the Ethiopian and the Ethiopian says well what's to stop me from believing and there's a river right there they literally stop the chariot jump out baptize not this like sprinkle thing dunk baptize them at that moment not next time you're in Israel hook me up right there right now baptized Then we get to the teachings of Paul, and Paul has this really, he actually takes it a step further. In Galatians, he says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So we've placed our faith in Christ, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Paul is suggesting that you aren't actually united with Christ until you are baptized, It's pretty strong language, Paul, but he said that not only is baptism this way of cleansing, not only is this baptism this way of um, preparing yourself for the Messiah, it's actually the way with which we are united to Christ. So this is baptism then. Then. And I don't think it would be too much of a stretch for the biblical authors if I were to say that they would honestly say that if you weren't baptized, you're not actually a believer. I don't think that's a big stretch for the biblical authors because it was this initiation. It was a rite of passage that Christianity was not something to be taken lightly That if you really believed, that if you had repented of your sins, you had placed your faith in God, and Christ was now your Savior, this was the initiation. This was the way that you prepared yourself and made yourself right. Because what do we say about baptism? You go into the water, and you die to your sin. The same way Christ dies for our sins and comes back, we die to our sins as we go in, And by the water we are washed of our impurity, we're washed of our old self, we're washed of the ways of the water, and we come up a new creation. And Paul uses that language, new creation, over and over again. But if we're not baptized, the newness doesn't come. We haven't washed away that old self. We haven't washed away the impurity. We haven't washed away the sin. And in some cases, I would go so far to go to the Red Sea thing, we haven't washed away that bondage to sin. Unless the Israelites go through the Red Sea, because they could have gone around. They could have. It would have taken a lot longer, and Egypt probably would have caught them but it was necessary for them to go through because it was necessary for that bondage to be washed away by the waters. And it's the same thing for us. We need that washing. We need to wash away that impurity. We need to wash away that uncleanliness. We need to wash away that sin. We need to wash away that old way and come up something new. And that's not how we talk about baptism in the church today. That's not the way we approach baptism. We are so flippant and so... We don't prioritize baptize, baptize, baptism in the church anymore. You know, if you feel like it, you get around to it because it's just a symbol. It's just a symbol of what has already happened, right? That's how we talk about it. It's a symbol of what has already been done in your heart. It's a, It's symbolic, and, you know, if you do it, it's okay... It, watch, watch how we have minimized the importance of baptism, and now what we're seeing is there's this minimizing of the importance of Christianity, because anyone will call himself a Christian nowadays, right, regardless of how they live, regardless of how they act, regardless of what they talk about, I I had, I, I was told our leadership, I was watching a couple YouTube videos, and there was this interview happening, As one girl has an OnlyFans account, but she believes that she's a Christian. If you don't know what OnlyFans is, don't worry about it. But it is not something that Christians do, I'll tell you that much. But she, she honestly believed it. And I was just like, I kind of threw up in my mouth a little bit because those two things don't have anything to do with each other. But because we don't have this rite of passage, because we have minimized this, in a sense, this entrance exam... Well, if baptism isn't that big a deal, then maybe our faith isn't that big a deal either, and maybe I don't have to repent on my deeds as long as I show up at church occasionally, and as long as I maybe crack my Bible so it stops being dusty, and you know I pray for pray to God when I'm in my really bad need, but I'll God at the rest, of, right? Like just the bare minimum approach. And what we saw two weeks ago is that faith is not a bare minimum, check the box kind of thing. It is a full life commitment, and so the. The biblical authors say if you're going to make this commitment you got to go through the water to make it. And I'll tell you this, I've been in ministry long enough and I'm sure there's some in the church that would agree with me, I can tell if you've been baptized or not. I can. I won't give a percentage of how likely I'll get it right or wrong, but I can tell. I can tell. Why? Because there's something, it's not just the physical, it's a spiritual thing that happens when we wash away that old way. Because we approach, we see the world differently. We approach God differently. We struggle differently. The number of people who've been baptized and their faith comes under persecution almost instantaneously. Why? Because the baptism is something big and our enemy is trying to throw you off. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that our enemy goes easy on those who aren't baptized. Because as I said, I would dare say, the biblical authors would probably agree with me, if you're not baptized, you're not really a Christian. Because you haven't really made that commitment. You haven't really made that step. You haven't made that public declaration. You haven't gone into the water to have your sin and the filth washed away. You haven't, made, you haven't been initiated and all we have to go off of is your confession. Well, I prayed a prayer once. I kind of read my Bible. Baptism is such a big deal that nowadays we can even give you a certificate. You got baptized. Yay! Cause on this day, we marked it. Why? Because it's a big deal. And I share this with you because if you have not been baptized, I want you to do away with all the excuses. I want you to do away with all the reasons that you have put it off and just see the importance of it, see the significance of it in your faith and in your growth and your development and make the decision today that you're going to get baptized. As soon as the next service comes up, I'm in. Oh, I'm too old. You're never too old for me to put you under water. Okay? I'll I'll pick on mom and dad. I had the privilege and honor of baptizing my parents. That was 10 years ago. Even 10 years ago, lots of you are still younger than they are. I'm not saying they're old. I'm just saying. (laughs) You're never too old. You're never too old to make that commitment. But the question is, are you willing and ready to make the commitment? Because even Jesus says, you don't take this lightly. Being a Christian is not easy. There's struggle, there's challenge, there's things involved. You have a spiritual enemy that's going to crank it up on you. But if you're willing to commit, if you're willing to do it, it's worth it. It doesn't matter what the enemy throws at us because our God is bigger and his blessing is better and, and his grace is sufficient and we will get through it. church, we can't take baptism lightly anymore. There's too much biblical evidence that says that baptism is too important to be overlooked. It's something we can't keep putting it off. So today, in this week, I would challenge you and invite you to contemplate getting baptized if you haven't if you've been baptized as a kid, I leave it to you. That's, that's between you and God. But I would say that you can't get baptized too many times. There's not a cap. Sorry, you got it three times, you're done. Don't go crazy either. Like, don't be like, oh, one church got baptism this time and the full gospel got baptism this day and United are doing it. Like, don't do that. But don't be shy either. When baptism is offered be ready to be baptized. So I'm going to say this. By the end of the series, we will have a baptism service. I just have to figure out if we're going to the lake, if we're going to KLBC, if I'm going to do my own thing. Once I figure out how I'm going to dunk you, I will let you know, and we'll get a baptism service in place. But pray about it. Seriously seek the Lord about it, and, and consider Let me know that if I, I am offering baptism, the question is, are you willing to make the step? if you have repented of your evil deeds, if you have placed your faith in God, the next step in your growth is baptism. And I encourage you do not delay. Do not wait till it fits because I think this is too important for you to pass it up.